Romans chapter 1, and uh, we, we uh, kind of stop down in verse 19, we'll start reading in verse 18, and see if we can't get a little bit of headway here, um, going here. Uh, for the wrath of God is revealed, Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because... That which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the, eternal, by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed beasts and the creeping things. We got down through the, uh, verse 18 and 19 last time and uh, we laid out those seven charges. Paul, the prosecutor in the courtroom here, stands and begins to prosecute the, uh, the sinner, the offender, mankind, all of humanity, and he lays out the seven charges here. And we started with charge number one, uh, starting here in verse 19 down through verse 32, and that is the issue that man is willfully rejecting the testimony of God given to him. And uh, we begin to look here where, the, uh, <clears throat> where Paul began to talk here, verse 18, and again, the end of that verse, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, that issue of holding, suppressing, keeping it down, keep taking the righteousness of God, the, the righteous nature of God that we learned about back up in verse 16 and 17, and it's holding it down, suppressing it. So Paul then begins to articulate what God did and what did God do because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. God has put inside man a conscience. If you come over to chapter 2 here, verse 15, uh, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And the issue of the conscience, God put a conscience in a man. And man, he hardwired man. Uh, man's conscience is, is just what verse 15 says there. It accuses you or it excuses you. Uh, we, we've looked at the conscience in other studies, especially about the you, the real you studies, about you can have a defiled conscience, a weak conscience, a bad, a good conscience, and so forth. And that issue of God putting that in man in verse 19, in, in, in creation, he hardwired man to understand that there is a God. Now, when you get into philosophy and some of the science and everything, they talk about a thumbprint of God, and, that, and, and, and that's what God did. God put a knowledge in man, a thumbprint, if you will, of his existence, of there being an existence of, we call him God, but of a being higher than, and, than, than man. God has... He fixed it so that man would have a propensity to worship. So what man has done is he's, try, he's come along and he's trying to fix that void. He knows there's something missing. He knows that there's something got to be there. 
So he's, so he's taking that internal hardwired issue there, and he's going to move toward being toward worship. That's why I said last week, 80 to 90 percent of man, of people, know that there is something bigger than them. And the rest of them, only like two, less than 2% are atheists, full out bored, don't even believe in it, believe in a higher power or a God or anything. So man knows that there's a, there's a God. There, there, there's something, we call him God because that's who he is, but that there's something out there bigger than they are. Now, in the hardwired, what we were talking about last time, there's the soft side of the conscience as well. There's a hardwire, and then there's a, soft, a, a side that can be influenced. And God, is, God says, I'm going to influence that. You know, God is a wonderful, he's a protector of the issue of free will. We'll see some verses here in just a minute talking about some of that. And what God has tried to do is influence that side of them, and yet man is doing, he's holding down that information. He's holding down that truth. God's trying to influence the soft side, get them to see who, who he is. And the reason for that is because as we go through this first chapters of Romans here, we'll see that man's guilty, worthy of wrath. But yet man seeks to hold that information down. Uh, we saw last time, we looked over at Adam, Genesis 3. Adam, when you go back there to Genesis 3 and Adam and them, Adam and Eve sin, they eat of the fruit, they go and hide themselves. How did they know to hide themselves? Well, they have a conscience. He knew what was right and what was wrong. He knew he had done wrong so he went and hid himself, and then when God come looking for him, he says, well, I was afraid of you. So he had fear pop up. The Lord, said, God, the Lord says, who told you you were all of that? Who, who instructed you? You see, the adversary comes along and begins to influence that soft side, the, soft, the side that can be influenced. The hardwire says, hey, this is right, this is wrong, there is a God. The soft side of it is that influence side where the human viewpoint just comes up against. We saw Cain in Genesis 4. When Cain killed Abel, you know, if, if Cain did not have a conscience, he'd have said, I killed him. He's laid out there in the, in the dirt. I did it. But Cain didn't do that. He lied. He says, I don't know where he's at. Am I my brother's keeper? See, Cain had a conscience. Cain understood he had done something wrong. And yet he lied about it to get out of the consequence. And that's really what begins to happen here. You see, folks, God set that conscience, verse 19, that internal awareness. Now what is man going to do with it? Well, verse 21 Romans 1.21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. What man did was he redefined it. Man comes in now and uses relative moralism. Let's be moral here. Or they'll use situational ethics. And they come in and they, 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 they begin to redefine the terminology and they begin to look at things 
all designed to justify themselves. Verse 21, man's conscience, they knew God. But they don't, by the way, when it says there that they knew God, it's not, it doesn't say that they knew everything about God. That's usually what people use this verse and say. See, they knew everything there was to know about God. It doesn't say that. It says that they knew God. They knew that he is God. They knew that there's a God. First down to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. See, they know that there's a God. And they know that there's a God that's going to sit in judgment of them, and that's really what they're trying to get around. Come over there to chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, or a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Even the Gentiles, that they weren't given the law, yet what do they have? They have an understanding, they have a conscience, and they begin to understand what is right and what is wrong. You know, most God-rejecting societies have laws that govern life and conduct. They know that killing murder is wrong. They, they instinctively know that that's wrong. So the Gentiles, come back with me to Job 21. Job chapter 21. The Gentiles, they know that there's a difference between right and wrong. They understand morality. Okay? You look around even our society. People understand that what they're doing is wrong. They're just trying to get away with it. And if we can get away with it long enough, then maybe someone won't notice. And yet... Who does notice? Well, God notices, you know. Job 21 here, just give you a few verses we didn't touch on last week. You know, morality comes from the ultimate morality. That's God. <laughs> and man hates to acknowledge that. And what man hates to acknowledge is that there are moral absolutes. So man's been trying to hold them down, suppress them. Get rid of them. Move them away. Job 21 and verse number 14. Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. That's what man says. Depart from us. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? Who's God? Who, is, who does he think he is? And what profit shall we have if we pray unto him? Who, who, depart from us. Get out of here. Who does, who does he think he is? What profit do we get if we pray to him? He's, he's just going to leave us out here hanging, you know. And you can see that. If you go anything on the, web, in the, on the Internet, Facebook, there are people out there that just, yeah, you pray to your God, I'm going to go to the hospital, you know. I'm talking about the virus and everything. Because what they don't understand is God's not operating that way today. But yet they come to the Bible, they don't understand how to study the Bible. So then you get all of this stuff and you get all... But what's man doing? Putting it away. Depart from us. 
And you know what? God values, come over to Psalms chapter 10. God values free will. And if you persist on a point, and man does, by the way, God eventually will okay it. And he'll allow you to have it. And when we get down into chapter 1 of Romans, guess what we're going to see? He gives it to them. And probably the worst judgment that God ever gave man up into the lake of fire is this issue of letting them go on their own and just leaving them, which is what he does in Genesis 11. Then in Genesis 12, he reaches over and pulls out his own nation and begins to deal with them. God will allow free will to reign. He, he, he loves it. He values it because he wants a creation that willfully wants to worship and serve him. So when man says, depart from me, get out of here, we don't want you, ultimately, eventually, God says, okay, you got it, turkey. You're on your own. Psalms chapter 10, verse number 4, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Who's the king of pride? The adversary is. Pride, got them. And because of their proudness, we can do this. We can figure this out. We can come up with ways and means of getting there and doing our own thing. They don't seek after God. Verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten, he hideth his face, he will never see it. Isn't that, that's just like fantasy island, <laughs> you know. God will, he's forgotten. Do what you want, he'll never see it. Come over here, what's God's response been to man's bad behavior? Verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble, wherefore doth the wicked contemn God, he has said in his heart, thou will not require it. You know what man says? God, God's not going to get us. Where is he? Where's his wrath? He's not even watching. He's not even paying attention. He just put us out here to just let us go our own way and do our own thing. And we're, you know what? He doesn't even care. But notice in verse 13, he hath said... In his heart. Verse 11, he has said in his heart. Man believes this stuff. He's been convinced of it. Down deep, man has begun to develop philosophies and wisdoms. They get all developed and it begins to influence their conscience. Deep down, man knows. Come over to chapter 14 that there's a God. But through the course of time, man has developed philosophies and thought patterns and all this stuff, and what's begun to happen is, is it has influenced them to say, 14.1, Psalms 14.1, the fool has said, in his heart, with the heart man believes, under righteousness is what the verse says, but their heart says what? There is no God. Man. They, they see, they know that there's a right and a wrong. They got it in them. Verse 20, 
In Romans 1, we're going to see, they're going to see the creation about them. They're going, to see, they're going to have the internal as well as the external. And you know what they still say? There's no God. Verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We'll see that when we get over in Romans 3. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord. Notice, no knowledge. They know that there is a God. Come back to Romans 1. But what they've done is they've departed. They've rejected it. They've said, leave us alone. They're, they're depart, depart from us. We don't want that information. Get off our backs. We don't need you. So Paul, in verse 20 now, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even by the things that are uh, even by his, uh, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, man, now Paul developing the next step, the issue of creation here. They know. Man knows that something bigger and than us made this, created this. But yet, what do they say? Well, the Big Bang happened, right? They begin to develop theories. They look at the data. Think about, look, look at that verse. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. They can look around. You know, nowadays you've got microscopes. You can look all the way down into the finest detail. And what do they see? They see organ. They see order. They see operation. They see things. We've talked in the past about man's DNA. And they break down the DNA and they're able to get down in it and look at it and do different things and see it. And it's got structure to it and order. It's got logic to it. They know it. They can, they begin, but yet what does man do? Let's hold down the truth and let's develop theories to explain creation. So we have evolution. We have different things pop up. I, I love verse 20, for the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Made, that word made, the, the, the Greek word there is our word poem, P-O-E-M. How do you write a poem? You start with letters that make words that make sentences, that make paragraphs. There's order to it. There's structure. There, there's a language to it. They know it. God doesn't hide anything. He doesn't keep a secret at all here. He, he doesn't want his creation operating in ignorance. So he made it known to them. He comes along and says, here, here's what we're going to have. Now look at verse 21. Look at man's response. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain. 
empty of the truth. Just an empty thing there. Void of the truth. In their imaginations. Oh, I, I love that one. Imaginations. Self-produced ideas. Designed to explain the creation. Designed to explain away the truth that God is. He is. That's what they're doing. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Professing, professor. <laughs> the school, thought, learning. They, they're developing stuff. They're parading around in the guise of wisdom. They are demonstrating clearly and, and, and factually their ignorance. They've willfully rejected the hardwiring in of the conscience there, the internal witness, and the external witness now in creation. So Paul develops the charge about their that man's awareness of that internal issue, but now the external. And by the way, the two, the internal and the external awarenesses, they work in tandem with each other. Literally so that we have an external around us creation that's going to validate what inside of us we all know, that there is a God. And the testimony is, is round about him. But yet, what is man's response? Let's reinterpret the data. Let's take what we see out here and let's come up with an alternative explanation. So that they develop methodologies, they develop ideas and thinking. The Big Bang Theory, you know, we came from nothing. How does nothing come from nothing? But it does. You, Darwin and his evolution, that's been proven to not really happen, you know, <laughs> sorry, it's scientifically been proven to be inaccurate. But yet, they've come up with some other things. There was a group. Now, I, I printed some stuff out here just to give you an idea. There is a thing out there that's called a simulation hypothesis. Basically, what they have developed, and actually, this is nothing new. This stuff goes back to Plato. And uh, uh, Descrates, D-E-S-C-R-C-A-R-T-E-S, Descrates. They're philosophers of the Greek days. And basically what they say is, we're not living in reality. We're living in a simulation of reality. You remember the movies, The Matrix? So it's called The Matrix Theory. And the thing here is, is that there's a, there was a professor out of the University of Bond in Germany that have come up with an idea that they can test the simulation hypothesis. Basically, the simulation hypothesis contends that, the real, that reality is, in fact, a simulation, most likely a computer simulation, of which we, the simulants, are totally unaware some versions rely on the development of 
uh, simulated reality, a fictional theology. The hypotenuse has been a central plot device of many science fiction stories and films. So they go in, and these, this professor, they go and they do, and the Matrix movies are what really kind of pr promote this. There's a, there's a guy out of Sweden. He's a, he actually, he's, out of, he's, out of, he's a Swede, but he, he's a professor at Oxford. And it's all artificial intelligence and all this stuff, and they get going, and it's a, it's a philosophy thought, but now science is trying to prove it. And these guys out of Bond back in 2012 said that they can finally do it. But in do <laughs> they, uh, the, the test would see scientists use mathematical models known as the lattice QCD approach in an attempt to recreate, uh-oh, on a theoretical level, a simulated reality. In other words, they got to come over here and do it, and not, and it's not really going to look like this. It's going to be smoke and mirrors. Good, that's a good. Okay. The problem is evidence. This doctor quotes. There, there are two main issues. One is whether the speculation even makes sense. And the other is supposing it makes sense whether there is any good reason to think it is plausible. <laughs> In other words, this doesn't make any sense. The other problem is evidence. It seems to me that the evidence that is looked for is not that convincing, quote unquote. De Socrates said the evil demon that he believed controlling the universe is, quote, as clever and deceitful as he is powerful who has directed his entire effort to misleading me, end quote. But he countered that his ability to think was at least proof enough that he was real, writing, quote, I think, therefore I am, end quote. Plato said that the reality may be no more than shadows in a cave, and if you know anything about Plato, he's got a cave theory. But the cave dweller having never left the cave, may not be aware of it. Now, all of that is, is man's ability and ingenuity to hold down the truth of who created the universe. Rather than giving God the credit, they begin to develop this idea here because they can't answer the consistency in creation. You see, when science looks at creation, they see a language, they see rules, they see order, they see consistency. In other words, all of this, there's no way that all of this came out of chaos. Okay? When the kids were growing up, there was a dinosaur cartoon that the kids would watch. And the beginning of it is a big meteor hit the earth and boom and did all this stuff. Well, chaos doesn't produce order. You know how you know that? Look around at us. You know, you got in this day and age of 2020, you got all this stuff with everybody trying to control everything, and it's just producing chaos. So they develop an alternative answer, that simulated hypothesis. That's all that is. It's a bunch of philosophy is what it is. The scientists in Bond tried to go and reproduce it, and they're not able to. Because they can't, 
they just... Paul, in Romans 1, go back to Romans 1, Paul is demonstrating that man is capable of coming to the obvious conclusion. When man looks at creation, what is the obvious conclusion? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's the obvious conclusion, but man can't let that happen. So they begin to explain away things and try to do this and that. They bring in, they begin to develop a system to hold down the testimony of creation. So they've developed the fields of science over the time. And Wikipedia, I mean, I, to print out the stuff to read to you, it would take, you know, our whole ream of paper to do. But you have the formal sciences. You know what the formal science, you know what number one is? Mathematics. Isn't that interesting? So what's his name on the Big Bang Theory TV show is right. Mathematics is the number one science. What was it? Sheldon. Yeah, thank you. You know, mathematics. The second one under the formal science is logic. So see, mathematics and logic. But you know, logic and that, that, store, that formal study of the principles of influence and correct reasoning. Based upon whose standard, though? See? Mathematics. Then you go to the natural sciences. Look at biology. Look at chemistry. You look at the physics. You look at earth, the earth sciences, they call them. Geology and and, and so forth, astronomy and everything, the physics. You begin to look at that, and you know what happens is you go, wow, there has to be a creator. But man doesn't do that. Man said, depart from me, God. We don't want your knowledge. We don't want to know anything about you. We just want to be left here to ourselves. You go into the engineering you got mechanical and electrical. You go into the medical and health sciences. You have agricultural sciences. You've got social sciences. You've got the humanities. There's seven fields of science that are recognized. All of them, when you step back and look at the evidence without a, without a precursor of, I don't want to know God, the conclusion is there is a God. There is a creator. And in Romans 1 here, that's what Paul's doing. Hey, so that they are without excuse. God has set it here. Here's the charge. God has set up an internal awareness and an external awareness. And what man says, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They moved around. Now, look real quick here. Go back to Psalms 19. This, the issue of creation, okay? And by the way, you can Google. I sat last yesterday afternoon with the, with the uh, computer, with Google, and I typed in different methods of, and then I just started listing stuff that kind of came to mind. And there are millions of hits to this stuff where man has developed, and it goes back into Egypt, and it goes way back into the, the caveman days, as they say. You know, no person, Psalms 19, 
Nobody in their right mind believes that this earth, that that tree out there is five billion years old. Nobody believes that. And yet, it's crammed down our throats constantly. Nobody believes that at all. A child doesn't even believe that. You know how you know that? You go to the nursery and pick out a tree that's a seedling. <laughs> and what happens? It grows into a big tree. And depending on the type you have, it grows there faster. So then what do you know? That it's not five billion years old. You know that there's some biology there, some horticulture there, an activity, an action. That's the design of a creator. By the way, we have this thing out there called intelligent design. That is not creationism, okay? It was developed by a man that was trying to prove creationism, but he doesn't do it very well. And again, just Google intelligent design and your head will spin. Intelligent design does demonstrate that there was something here that made everything, but it doesn't always lead back to God. Okay, why? Because man's holding down that truth, rejecting that testimony. By now you got Psalms 19, right? Look at what God says about his creation when he made his creation. When he began to write, look, Psalms 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth, what? Speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. Speech, language. The, the, the movement here, verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he hath he set up a tabernacle for the sun. Verse 6, verse 5, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoice as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit under the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And you go on and you read down through that. And you know what? God, When God says, when I made creation, it was made to speak of me. It was designed for man to go and explore, run the circuit. Verse 6. You know that the scientists have proven that th this earth hung out there on nothing is in the right spot to then go and explore the vastness of the universe. And that if it was over a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, that we would miss seeing that uh, section, great chunks of the universe. Have you ever wondered why when they turn the telescopes on, they can see the Milky Way from anywhere on the planet? Boom, and they can see it. Or they can go and they can search the vastness of the universe. Why? Because God said it so. He said it that way so that man could run the circuit out there and go and explore and see it and look at it and go, wow, there has to be a creator. 
the language has been developed. We studied it just in, in the last several months, well, three months ago, I guess now, about the DNA of man. And when they break down that DNA, they're just now learning over the last recent years about it being a really literally a language. So much so that they're figuring out that if we change one little letter, we change everything in that strand. So we have languages of the science. <laughs> okay? We have all those fields. Come back to Romans 1. So the issue here is Paul is, hey, I'm, God has set this so that man is without excuse. He put an internal awareness with them that's going to work with that external around them, the creation. So when man looks at creation and says, there is no God, and whether we're over here floating around in a computer program, which you go, huh? Okay. And by the way, you get into some of that reading and your eyes roll back in your head going, what? Because they're using the $50 words instead of the $5 words. Yeah, three, three or four of the words, I had to go look them up in the dictionary. To, what in the world did that mean? You know, why? Because it's, they, but they have to do that to justify charging you $100,000 to go to their school, see. Paul is setting that case. That's why most people don't like the Bible. Man, because the Bible is negative toward man and positive toward God. Romans 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, you see, they knew him. They knew that he was there. They knew that there is a God. They glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful. And honestly, that's the hardest part of all of that, is that they weren't thankful. Now what Paul, is when he says there, because that when they knew God, He's dragging you back historically to Genesis 11. Genesis 11. It's always you have to remember that Paul takes us back to Adam, where Israel and those guys always run back to Abraham. But Paul takes us back to Adam. So go back with me to Genesis 11, and let's just notice some things here historically. Because historically, there was a time... In the beginning, when man was, they knew God was there, but they're making decisions that are going to impact all of the rest of humanity. In Genesis 11, when you come to Genesis 11, there has been judgments against man in the book of Genesis all along here. Verse 1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and dwelt there. Now, first of all, that is a rebellion against God's word to Noah. They're God's word, God's edict, God's command was for man to scatter and fill up the and replenish the earth, fill it back up. Rather, they did what? They stayed together. Then, then you got that land of Shinar. Now that land of Shinar is on the east side of the Euphrates. It is what is called Babylon. It becomes Babylon. We're going to get Babel here in a minute. Babylon. Now we're in, the, we're in where? We're in Iraq when you look at our map today. 
The promised land given to Abraham is going to be on the west side of the Euphrates. Okay? So you, the adversary doesn't move too far away from God's people. He's just right across the river. Verse 3. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Again, what are they after? They're after save, fame, notoriety. Let us have a name. We don't want to be scattered abroad. We want to have us a name. We want to have us a brand. What's my brand? So they, have, they build a city, a political, geopolitical entity, government, rule, right? moral center, where they're going to set up what's right and what's wrong. Then they build a tower, a tower up, up, that, may, that it may reach into heaven, unto heaven. It's, it's not a place that they can blast off and go into outer space. It, again, in, your, in Scripture, a tower is a religious center. The Lord is the tower of Israel, Psalm says. So it's where religion is, it be, but they're building a worship center. And they're going to fill it with all kinds of things that become Baal worship and the idols. And we're going to have our sun god and our moon god and we're going to have our star gods and we're going to do this and, we're, and they pollute all that. Let us have a name. Come back to Genesis 4. Notice this. Cain is where all this started with, by the way. Genesis 4. The issue of notoriety. Genesis 4, verse 16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bared Enoch, and he builded a city, again, total rebellion to what God told him, and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. You see, no glory to God. They didn't give glory to God, neither were they thankful, but what did they give glory to? Themselves. Now watch, drop down to verse 24. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. They've been passing down through the generations this idea of rebellion against God. They've been suppressing, holding the truth back. What did God tell Cain to go do? You're going to be a vagabond. You're going to be a wanderer. He didn't want to. He, he says, "Hey, I, if I do that, they're going to kill me." So he goes over here, verse 18, Enoch, and he begats all the way to Lamech. And then you see the development of society in verse 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. By the, word, by the way, the end of verse 23, you have murder again. But nobody can say anything because great-granddad Cain killed Abel. See? So Lamech, it just gets pressed down to Lamech. Come over to chapter 10 of Genesis, where we're at, 10. 10. Verse 8, and Cush begat Nimrod, and he, became, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. Well, look at that. Notoriety, fame, 
Let's make a name for ourselves. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, which is where we're at. Go back over to chapter 11, verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. In their vain imaginations, they professed themselves to be wise, but they became fools. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thin. He did one little thing. <laughs> He messed up the communication lines. And what did man have to do? They had to scatter. And, he, and they all left off to build the city, and therefore is the name of it called Babel. But then what did the Lord do in Genesis 12? He reaches over to Abraham, a Gentile, and says, you're going to be my guy now, and you're going to have a nation. I'm going to have a nation in the earth. And I'm going to show all these other nations what it is to have me as their head. I'm going to show all the other nations what it is to recognize God as the creator, as who he is. And we know the story. Come back to Romans 1. And get on your way, stop there in Acts 14. You see, when God says in Romans 1.21, because that when they knew God, historically, he's all the way back to Genesis 11. They glorified him not as God. They didn't give God the glory anyway. They're out there trying to make a name for themselves. Neither were they thankful. Acts chapter 14. You know, they could have looked around and said, man, we, we thank the Lord that he didn't flood us again. We can thank the Lord for his dealings with us and let's just go do what we're supposed to do. But they didn't do that. Acts 14, Paul here, verse 16 and 17, talking about this. Acts 14, 16. Who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. That's Genesis 11. We'll see this in Romans 1 next time when we go down through it. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. Isn't that interesting? In that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. You see how God did good? Notice it doesn't say that he set up the nation of Israel. Notice it doesn't say anything about looking to Israel and there they, there he says what? He left him a witness where? In the creation. He gave us rain, fruitful seasons. He gave us everything that he created in the account. He didn't, just, he didn't take that away from us. He left the, he left the witness in place for him. And he left a witness of his existence. And yet, Romans 1 now, what were they? They weren't thankful. And what separates the heathen out 
from the believer is that issue of thankfulness. Verse 21, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Again, Psalms 14.1, a fool is said in his heart, there is no God. They, that's the problem. They were looking at the evidence in verse 19 and 20. And they decided to turn in verse 21. And, change, and their thinking was all wrong. And you know what? They went over there and they were developed. Come back to Job 38. <laughs> Think of the verses. Job 38 in verse 2. They began to develop a bunch of dumb human reasoning. A bunch of dumb, stupid ideas that came along and sounded great. But they are a result of rejecting the testimony that God gave them. Job 38 verse 2. Uh, verse 1, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? And that's the question. Romans 1. They're parading around like they got the answer, and really what all they're doing is showing their ignorance. Verse 23. And <clears throat> professing themselves they, uh, to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed beast and creeping things. So that's what man did. Is he invented, he invents a God who can tolerate his sin. He invents a God who he can satisfy through his works and his activities, and stuff that he, man, can produce. And he takes God, the creator, and puts him all the way down to, to a creeping thing, something that man can squash him. So he took God, didn't put him on man's level, put him beneath man. By the way, if you look there at verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. That's why when you hear people, you know, the TV people, you are your own God. You're your own spirituality. Whatever you want it to be is what it is. All roads are leading back to the supreme being. I said last week about the Hindu elephant and Dwayne sent me the right stuff. I was off a little bit on a couple things. But that's what it is. You see, they've resulted. The results here in verse 23 is in the rejection of the truth, the holding down of the truth. So man has his rationalization. Man has developed his human viewpoint. Man has his desires to come up, to cover up, sorry, the knowledge, the wisdom, the testimony of God. Man, continue, man has convinced himself that he 
is right and that his conclusions are right. Even though, honestly, if you read stuff, you can't get any of them to agree because <laughs> they're always poking holes. Well, it can't be done. The matrix is this. Right? And it's like, huh? He, he thinks he's right even though he has completely rejected the truth of God's word. Paul has laid the case in. Now in verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up. Because of what man did, wherefore? Here's what God did. This was the thinking that got man in trouble. Here's the response of God. And then here's the response of man. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. We'll pick up in verse 24 next time, okay? But I hope you get the feel here what Paul's doing. Again, Paul starts the book of Romans not with how wonderful our salvation is, but he starts it with, hey, here's the righteousness of God. Here's the rightness of his character, the faith to faith. Here's the wrath of God revealed against those who are holding his righteousness, who he is, holding it back, suppressing it. And here's how man got there. In charge number one, they willfully hold all that back. So we'll start in verse 24. We're going to go down through verse 32 next time because it's real quick. It's, inter it's fascinating to me that Paul does not spend volumes of information here. Why? Because we've all been there. We all can see it. Here's human nature. You know, I can save you the Ph.D. degrees. You know, somebody one time said, oh, Rick, you got, you know, the counseling thing. I go, why? The Word of God's a great counselor. It's right there. You do what you do because of this. <laughs> you know, and here's what God's going to do. So we'll look at all that next time, okay? Wherefore God? Man did, has, man's doing what he's doing. Now here's what God did. And honestly, he did the most devastating thing that he could have ever done to man outside of the wrath, and that's he let them go. And he lets them go in three areas, their body, their soul, and their spirit, and he lets them go. And you know what? Man doesn't bat an eye, but hits the door running with it. And the reason that God doesn't stop him is because God is a respecter of that issue of free will. And the decisions that you make, you're going to be held accountable for. Now, he gives a remedy at Calvary, and we'll get over to that. But first, he's got to get the charges laid. Because you know what a man's going to do when they stand there in judgment, which is what they're trying to get around. We'll see that. Is man's going to sit there, yeah, but. And God's going to say, nope, I took care of you. I told you one of the charges, the ignorance of the law ain't going to get you anywhere. He's going to nail them and say, yeah, you had my word. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, we just thank you for who you are as creator, as our redeemer, and as our God. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory in that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll